welcome to Fifth Draw Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and this week, before we get started, I just want to thank you for bearing with me through September. Uh, while I was moving, uh, things were a little bit hectic, so being able to drop down at just uh, an episode every two weeks helped my life out considerably. But uh, This is October, so we're back to our regular schedule. Now, before we jump into our episode, I do want to warn you that this week, we're talking heavy spoilers on some Final Fantasy games. Specifically, 6, 7, 9, and 10 get spoiled pretty thoroughly. So, you've been warned. Enjoy the episode. And this week, I'm joined once again by returning guest Alan Sells. Alan, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh man, I'm excited to have you on. It's, it's like we don't do enough stuff already together. It's, right? Yeah, listen, uh, we're, we're going to do... Um, you know, my life has been a little crazy. We're getting back in. It's October again, so you guys can expect regular episodes. Uh, we'll talk Happy about that a little spooky bit. Happy month. Spooky month. Yeah, and guess what? You guys aren't getting any spooky episodes. And that is completely fair. This is your show. You do what you want. I, I, I'm sure I will bow to pressure eventually down the road for this and do something spooky. Um, I can tell you, Christmas is going to be a lot of fun. I already have an idea for it, and I need to actually get cracking on that because it might be complicated and take a while to put together. I should do that. Oh, dear. Okay. Anyways, today we're talking about what, Alan? We are talking about Final Fantasy, the most contradictory phrase title of a video game possibly ever. We're never going to hit the last one, are we? Uh, considering that there are currently 15 numbered titles, not including sequels and offshoots, if you start including sequels and offshoots, it starts going a little bit crazy. Okay, now, I want to make sure we're all really clear on this. This is not suggesting in any way that there's going to be a Final Fantasy Smarts podcast coming out. My heart couldn't handle that, and I'm not going to coach on Jake and Shannon's awesome idea. That is true, but if anybody ever wants me to explain Final Fantasy X to them and watch a grown man cry, hit me up. We're going to get to that one. I don't feel bad about spoiling that. We are going to get to that one. I'm going to try not to cry. I promise. I have a one-line description of that game that might hurt Alan physically, and I feel very bad about it, but it's not my joke, so it's okay. Um, we're going to talk... Yeah, we're talking about Final Fantasy. This is this is great. Uh, I love... Some Final Fantasies, the ones I've played have been fun, except 8, which we'll talk about. 8 is dumb. Nobody likes a Squall. Squalls are bad and no one likes them. Okay, That's a so... Team Four Star let's, joke. Let, yes, that is a Team Four Star joke. But let us reach out to our, our fans who may like Final Fantasy 8. And if you like Final Fantasy 8, you do you. I just don't, though... Guns and swords aren't meant to be together, but that's not, well, not what we're even talking that. About. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Final Fantasy, and we're going to start with Final Fantasy One. That's right, the great granddaddy of them all, the classic fantasy adventure of a fighter, a, a thief, a mage, and a red mage who get in trouble and, and white make mage. really and make bad one-liner jokes and and oh wait, no, I'm t- I'm thinking eight-bit theater. I'm yes, sorry. thinking 8-Bit Theater. I went off the rails already. That's my knowledge of Final Fantasy 1 is 8-Bit Theater, and that Black Mage does not show up in real life. Well, Final Fantasy 1 was released by Square in 1987, December 18th, 1987. Um, I was one month old. We're not going to talk about this. Moving on. Um, so. I was more than that. <laughs> When Final Fantasy 1 was released, the reason it is called Final Fantasy, um, it was actually supposed to be called Fighting Fantasy. Uh, but there were contr- or there was some controversy and some problems with copyright. Um, and this was Square's Swan Song. They had dumped all of their money into this game and they said, Well, you know what? We can't call it Fighting Fantasy. It is our final fantasy. It is the final hope for us as a company. Here we go. And so they put out Final Fantasy in December of 1987, and it became one of the best-known and best-selling versions of a role-playing game ever. Um, and according to my research, uh, by by March 2003, all versions of the original Final Fantasy had sold a combined total of 2 million copies worldwide. Dang. 
Listen, I, I, I got to say, based on the fact that uh, Squaresoft is still around today as Square Enix, mm-hmm. I feel like this worked for them as a as a Hail Mary pass. This one, this one landed pretty well. Absolutely. I completely agree. And it really redefined or really defined uh, the RPG genre in a, in ways that are that the echoes and ramifications of are still felt today. This was the JRPG for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, this this is the game that gave us a lot of the classes and a lot of the tropes that you, know, you can feel it even in, like, Skyrim. If you pull mm-hmm. up Skyrim, you can still see echoes of Final Fantasy. Like, that's, that's the kind of spread this thing has. This is, there were a lot of games that came out on the NES that were groundbreaking and really have shaped our video game experience to this day. Absolutely. This is definitely one of them. And man, I wish I had, I wish this is a game that had shaped my childhood. Uh, We'll get to mine here in a minute, but yeah, this is a great game. It is, it is absolutely wonderful. Um, And you may be wondering, uh, gentle listener, why aren't we talking about the story and the plot? Because there's not really much of one. Uh, You basically play the four warriors of light. You are told, hey, there's a princess that needs saving and the world's in trouble. You go do that thing. And then you do. And, it's and then fine. you do. And you stop a paradox and everyone forgets you exist. So uh, the, the the deal here, this is also the game that like does the crystals for the first time and mm-hmm. does the increasingly complex villain scheme. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how deep we want to go into Garland. Um but Garland is kind of the first, obviously, major Final Fantasy villain. Um, Garland is a great example of what we're going to get into with a lot of the later Final Fantasies of a simple villain becoming, well, kind of a god. Uh, a, a vessel. A vessel for a higher thing. There you go. I think that is a little bit more um, appropriate. But it's a common, common theme in Final Fantasies. That the uh, original antagonist that you meet may not turn out to be the antagonist of the game. And the antagonist of the game may or may not have, I don't know, reality-shaping powers and can warp things in all sorts of different fun and twisted ways. I mean, if if we take just some of the names of the villains, like Sin, Fate... Mm -hmm. Uh, th- these bad guy concepts get a little highbrow pretty quick. Oh, Gen- we're mm, we're gonna get there, and I have. Thoughts. We are gonna get to Genova. Uh yeah, we're gonna. Mm, mm, okay, uh, but so, the yeah. game was very straightforward. You know, it, it gave us our turn-based RPG type system that is so common, or was so common in Final Fantasy. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, a little bit later. Um, again, minor spoilers. We're going up through Final Fantasy ten. Uh, with Final Fantasy 15, that, and not to even mention Final Fantasy 11 or Final Fantasy 14, which completely broke the mold. And again, we'll get to those soon. Um, but traditionally, these have followed a, a, a kind of a traditional JRPG turn based system where everyone takes their turn, you input your commands, the command is executed, then it moves to the next person's turn. They have played with the formula a little bit, um, but it wasn't really until the later parts of the series that they truly broke that mold yeah like the active time battle system the atb system mm-hmm. was the the gold standard for gosh up through 12 i think yes up through 12 and even 12 tried to mess with it a little bit by adding the free roaming while the atb was happening so instead of you know you're basically just on a screen with a painted background or whatever you're actually able to run around and manipulate the character um 12 is also not my favorite but we'll get into why in a, in a little bit but um i think it's interesting though that final fantasy is a series that is about experimentation it is about you know trying new things and going in different directions and hey if something doesn't work whoops okay cool let's not do that thing again and by and large uh, with with a few notable exceptions all of the worlds of the final fantasies are separated so nothing Mm -hmm. like there are there are some characters that appear in every game sometimes just because it's tradition to have a sid and moogles are just a race that they have in their universe 
And sometimes just because you have world jumping abilities and you just have to show up in every game. Mm-hmm. Like there's one guy and I don't remember his name, but he just Gilgamesh. That's the one. What a jerk. He is a, he's a big old jerk and he has lots of swords. But Matt, you forgot about the most important recurring thing in Final Fantasy. Chocobos? My giant chicken birds. Uh, the, I uh, love the, my chicken horses so much. The the Chocobo music from, oh gosh, what was it? I think it might have been seven or nine is the best Chocobo music. It might be the best music in all of the games. Seven is Salsa de Chocobo. That's the one, yeah. That's really good stuff. Um, my favorite, and this is blasphemy a little bit, but one of my favorites is in 15. And the reason is because you're riding on your chocobo and like the chocobo music's playing and it's really lovely. And then one of your party members, oh, what is his name? Prompto goes, I want to ride my chocobo all day. And he starts singing along with it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the most precious. What? I can't remember if we can swear on here. Sorry, we can't. I'll bleep it. Okay, I'll get I'll get a chocobo noise to go over that one. Aww. Um, yeah. I might just use one of those. Um, <laughs> Alan just became my new bleep sound. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, I feel like we would be remiss if since we don't have a whole lot more to say about the first one, except it did the thing and did it really well. Mm-hmm. And set the standard. Uh, Final Fantasy music. Let's uh, let's use a little bit of time here, because that's a bit important. It it is honestly okay. So for background for folks that don't know me very well, I'm a music geek. Um, I've played uh, classical instruments most of my life. Um, I'm a French horn player, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Nobu Uematsu is a genius a, a god in 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 my eyes he he his creative genius is just so impressive the things that strike me about nobu uematsu is there there are musical themes in final fantasy 1 that appear in every single game but it's never the same no he doesn't ever just leave it and it's it is so interesting. The victory theme, I think, is the one that people are most familiar with. The da 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 da. You know, it is iconic. It is powerful. You know, when you hear that, that you have succeeded and you, everything is okay. Um, but I also love that in later games he plays with it when it's not there, or when you do something but that music doesn't play. It kind of signifies that there is change. There's uh, something wrong. And then, of course, there's the opening. And it, it is escaping my brain what that opening is called. But it's the piano riff. Do you know what I'm talking about? I the do. My default one of those is from Final Fantasy VI. That's mm-hmm. the one that I always remember. And it's a little bit slower and a little bit more orchestral. And it's very nice. I think it's just called Prelude. I think so. That sounds right. Uh, yeah, that's... um, Man, that's been in all of them, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. But then you get different intro music. Um, for example, one of my favorite intro musics, aside from Xanarkand, okay, you guys, Xanarkand to Xanarkand is probably my pinnacle of video game music. So set that aside. We will get to it in 10. But Final Fantasy IX has this gorgeous kind of prelude music of do 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 yeah. What's cool is I bought it for PS4, which, by the way, it's available for sale on PS4. And now my theme plays that music when I log into my PS4, and it makes me so happy. Yeah, we're going to get to Final Fantasy IX, too, and that game is wonderful, and not just because it gave us the most precious, perfect boy in the world. Uh, <sighs> yeah, we're getting to him. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, though, we're going to jump ahead. Uh, if you were in Japan, we're going to jump ahead five iterations if you're in America, like we were, you're going to jump ahead too, because this is the game that was released as Final Fantasy VI in Japan, and for heaven only knows what reason, because f- 3, 4, and 5 were actually pretty fun games, was released mm-hmm. as Final Fantasy three on the Super Nintendo in the US, and was my first encounter with Final Fantasy. Well, why don't you take this one away? So this game is a game that's all about the conflict between magic and technology. Uh, The game opens with still this really memorable scene and this really memorable music of these power mechs walking through the snow to this village. And like, 
it's doing that video game thing where you're just walking on the same terrain over and over, like a scrolling racing game. And then this massive town rises up out of the distance as the credits scroll, and it's gorgeous. And you get you get Biggs and Wedge right off the bat, and you kill them right off the bat, and it's yep. perfect and wonderful. Yeah, this is a game that deals with like this separated world of magic, the world of the espers, this uh, human world that's largely become a world of technology. Uh, and the whole game kind of focuses on this girl, Tara, who is a byproduct of both worlds and is like the key to blah, 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 Final Fantasy plot. Um, the best part about this game and the reason that in a Nintendo Power magazine, this game beat out Final Fantasy 2 for the top slot was because there's an opera scene that you control. The opera scene in Final Fantasy 3 is easily one of my favorite things in video games ever. It is at once hilarious, tense. The music is gorgeous. Um, You know, and it's a full opera. Um, What I think is interesting is uh, there is a concert series that uh, is done called Distant Worlds Final Fantasy. And... A classic that they do every time is the opera from Six with sung parts. Like they, it is Nobu Uematsu wrote a full opera for this yeah. game. In the game, you don't hear it. In the game, you get just a chip tune, mm-hmm. vocal noises of just, oh, that kind of deal. Um, and you get just typed out lyrics. The best part about this, and like I'm with Alan, I dig the music on Final Fantasy. They're all really really good um but the 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 thing for me about this is that the character who is in this opera is the one character that you would not have expected to take that role like Mm -hmm. she's like the hard knight commander person uh that's celeste yeah yeah it's celeste i believe that's her name yeah and it's just, it's so opposite to her personality that it's just this great, like, wait, what? She's not just, wait, why isn't she not just sorting all of these people to death? Because she's usually your highest powerful, highest leveled character at this point in the game. Mm-hmm. Just because you get her and she's already high level. They just say that way. Oh, and also at some point, a giant tentacle monster falls on the stage. That's true. And, and you know, this is this is all part of a game where you you are going through the game. And everything is going well, and you go to go fight the final boss, and you beat him, and then the world ends and the game keeps going. Oh, Matt, let's talk about Kefka. If you want a creepy jester boy, Kefka is your man. Kefka is one of my ideal villains. He is a force of nature. He does what he does, and he doesn't need a reason like he is a clown he is funny it's like the joker on a grand global scale it's it's the joker with ambition and like cthulhu magic and cthulhu magic and that's the thing kefka is so smart he he is a puppet master he's a game master Mm -hmm. so from the time you boot up the console and the first time you meet tara Kefka's plans are already in motion. You just don't know what they are. And and this is this is the best thing about this game. This is the absolute best thing about Six. Is up until the point where the world ends, you can literally not change anything. Right. There's there's no one except maybe the Emperor who could have stopped those plans, but the Emperor was being fed by Kefka. Like he's the only one who could have just been like, oh wait. Mm-hmm. You're you're a little slimy dude who's up to no good. I'm just going to off you and we'll be fine. And we would be very remiss, very really? remiss to not talk. We talked about the Aria. We've got to talk about Dancing Mad. It is a 17 minute long piece um, with an organ cadenza. It is insane. It mm-hmm. is powerful. Also, fun fact about Final Fantasy VI that I actually learned, I think, from... Uh, Someone in um, one of the Morphin Grid followers, we were talking about something. Um, but apparently, this is the very first game, um, at least in the Nintendo family, to feature voice acting. Kefka's Laugh. Oh. It okay. doesn't feature speaking roles, but Kefka laughs. And that is the first voice acting in a Final Fa- I think it's the first voice acting in Final Fantasy, I think is what it is. Um, 
But it's still, the other cool thing about Final Fantasy is it's all about pushing the current limits of the technology that it's on. So Final Fantasy VI was a was a marvel and it holds up incredibly well if you go back and play it. It obviously is a Super Nintendo game, but it is a gorgeous Super Nintendo game with incredible music that just pushed the boundaries of what the Super Nintendo could do. This is the game that I really want them to do an HD remake of. Like, Oh just, my God, it'd be so good. Like, I don't, we're going to get to this literally the next thing we're going to talk about. I do not give two craps about Final Fantasy VII. We will have this fight in a minute. Um, but I don't want an HD remake of that. Spiky Zack, Spiky Blonde Zack can screw off. Um, but I want this game. Don't change the plot. Don't change the writing. Maybe get some voice actors in there, but only if you can do it really, really well. Just update the graphics to about 12, Final Fantasy 12 level. Mm-hmm. Get me to or that level. Or even 10 level. Yeah, even 10. I like, think the me... graphics in 10 are better than 12, but again, we'll get there. Uh, get me get me up to the like a solid PS3 level of graphics with, with the open world and everything. And I just, I would eat Final Fantasy 6 alive again. It would be so good. And I think I think voice acting would actually help Final Fantasy VI. Um, it, it's very interesting when you start looking at you know the Final Fantasy games. Uh, for the longest time, you could change all of your party members' names to whatever you want. I don't feel like that's such a big deal anymore. So I feel like they could do voice acting in six and just keep all of the names. Keep it Terra. Keep it Celeste. You know, keep Lock all of their names as what Edward, they exactly. Yeah. And then just they're good have names. them voice acted. I mean, they're great names. They're iconic at this point. Edgar, Seltzer, you know. Uh, Seltzer. Uh, uh, this is also the game that was one of the first to really, like, feature a truly split party. Yes. Where there comes a point where you're scattered to the three. To, your party gets fragmented three ways. And, like, one crew goes off one direction. One goes off another. One goes down a river. Where you could, if you had a turbo controller and a rubber band, you could rig it at one point in the river raft game where you would always take like a left turn and you would just hold down A Mm -hmm. and hold down the left bumper with A turned on turbo, turn your TV off, and when you came back, you'd be level 99 with all those characters. Yep. I remember that trick. I had a buddy do that once and he forgot to turn off his TV and it burned the whole thing out. It was great. Oh. yeah, it was, it was great fun. Um, yeah, this was a... Hey, y'all, remember when TVs could burn and, like, is that still... Is that terror still instilled in you, Matt? Because it's still instilled in me. Uh, yeah. No, uh, my iPad now is so old that if I'm reading on it like a book, the words will burn into the screen. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, b- before we get off on too many more tangents, let's move along. Um, no, no, there's one thing that I have to bring up if... If, you, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy series and you got on later on, like if you're one of the ones that jumped on the dumb game we're about to talk about next, I am saying this very deliberately and provocatively to get all the Final Fantasy fanboys, especially of Seven, to get all mad at me. I don't apologize for anything. Um, but if you jumped on at that point and you never went back to play any of these old games... Um, Please do. Six is incredible, and I'm about to tell you a surefire sell on why you should play it. Um, but four and five are amazing. Kane's story is so good. Is it Cecil? Cecil. Cecil. The yeah. black the Black Knight? Yeah. Cecil. Mm-hmm. That story is amazing. And like the game's the game starts out with him as like part of the evil empire going to conquesting. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um so here's why you should play six. At one point, you get to control three bands of Moogles doing the very first tower defense game. Uh-huh. Goodbye! You, you get to... Oh my god, Alan. Why I, are you not playing a Final Fantasy game yet? Look, okay, I tried to get Chocobos in the Fallen Gods and I got shot down. Moogles are adorable and the best thing about Final Fantasy. They are wonderful. They have like little pom-poms on their head. They have little bat wings. Yeah. And you get to control 12 of them in this one like... In this tower defense map, it's great. And they have, like, insanely massive pikes, some of them. It's 
Just adorable. Uh, so go play that. And now, unfortunately, we have to talk about Final Fantasy VII, the story of Blonde Zack and his I, girlfriend. I would not call it unfortunate. Here's the thing about Final Fantasy VII. A lot of people adore Seven, And Seven deserves a lot of the praise that it gets. It really does. For what it was, it was a groundbreaking game. The graphics were incredible. Those backgrounds, those hand-painted backgrounds, the FMVs, it was like nothing anyone had ever seen before. In the yeah. West, it basically started a JRPG revolution. Well, and it was it was a, an order of magnitude better than what everyone in America, everyone anywhere had just seen. We just had six with was still sprites which was gorgeous and sprite work but this is 3D this was on the PlayStation and it was full polygon renderings and three dimensions and it was in it was gorgeous and i look i don't like the game personally i think it's way overhyped for what it is and what it actually accomplishes the core story or the story behind the game is very good the lore of final fantasy 7 is so interesting. And again, huge credits to Nobu Uematsu. The music in this game is iconic for a reason. Yeah, it really is. Like, like the fact that to this day, anyone that really knows those games and everything, if uh, I, I w- I'm willing to bet most of them will, will have the same reaction I do, where if someone is talking about this game and mentions Sephiroth in their head, they'll hear Sephiroth, one winged angel. Yeah. Um, and and again, it's just it's brilliant. the 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 magic system was something that had never been seen before. The materia system, um, but to give a brief overview of the story, you follow an ex soldier named Cloud, um, kind of on his misadventures. He he starts out basically trying to fight against this company called Shinra, um, and you know rebel against that until the return of his old mentor slash senpai sephiroth Uh, and And uh, sephiroth is such an interesting character sephiroth is an amazing amazing villain um it would be remiss if we did not say that cloud is also possibly the most moody brooding little dumb boy in the entire world that is very true um one thing that I would recommend that I think is very interesting because Final Fantasy VII was localized in the U.S. in a very like time crunched way. Um, it was very tight budget. It was you know very very quickly localized. So a lot of the translation is um, how can I say this nicely bad. Um, I highly highly encourage you. There's actually a series on Kotaku right now of a guy that lived in Japan for like ten years who is a translator who's playing through some of the key scenes of Final Fantasy VII, telling you what it actually was supposed to be. Like, recently he did the whole side quest of Cloud getting all of the clothes to be a girl so that he could go into the Honey Bee Inn to rescue Tifa. Like, he goes through (laughs) all of that, and it's so much more interesting in the Japanese, and it makes Cloud much more relatable, um, instead of him being just a butthole. Also, if you would like to laugh at all these characters, uh, and appreciate it on that end, and just like kind of give it a few knocks that it deserves. Uh, Team Four Star did uh, is doing a machine abridged series of this, uh, which is very funny and very good. And they they're up through like that first point after the Shinra Corporation kind of blows up. It's uh, it's a very funny show. It's only like an hour long so far. So this also is the first departure that Final Fantasy took from Nintendo. Um, and the reason was seven was originally supposed to be on the SNES, but there were delays and technical difficulties. So they partnered with Sony to move to the CD-ROM format. Final Fantasy seven exists on three discs on the PS one. Um, it is massive sprawling game. Um, and it's just, there's also a lot of stuff to do. There are so many interesting side quests. Um, it, it I, I don't think it introduces, but it really solidifies a staple of Final Fantasy of having recruitable party members you could miss. I'm specifically thinking of Yuffie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, you know, yes, there is a PS4 remake coming, um, The but they're switching it up quite a bit. And to be 
completely frank, I don't know if I'm going to get it. I need to see more about it. They're taking it to more of a Kingdom Hearts style of kind of an action RPG. Now, uh, again, listeners who don't know me, I adore Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is one of my favorite things. Um, But I don't know how that's going to feel as Final Fantasy VII, because Final Fantasy VII, as we mentioned earlier, introduced that ATB or active time battle where you basically have a little bar and you could watch it fill up and your opponent had one too, but it was invisible. So you were kind of uh, having to react quickly, but still being able to take your turns. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is a game where if you wanted to really dig into it, you could go and breed for the gold Chocobo that could do everything. The Knights of the Round. Yeah. And get that final summon, which is incredible. It's incredible, but it's also you push a button, you get up, you go make a sandwich, you eat the sandwich, you get you something to drink, you drink something, you come back. Oh, look, they're still going through Jupiter. You go back, you make another sandwich for later, and then you go back and you sit down and the attack's over. And you watch yourself just win the game in one hit. It's great. Well, I mean, and to be fair, to get the Knights of the Round, you have to go through so much crap. That it is okay that the Knights of the Round is a win button because you worked yeah. so hard to get it. Yeah, it's um, it's one of the first really. You know, Final Fantasy's always had that that staple of the Ultima weapon. That's that's existed since the beginning, uh, functionally, and this is just kind of an evolution of that. Like you can get Ultima weapons of a type, I believe, in seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but this everyone is like, has an ultimate weapon. Yeah, and this is this is the first that was like. Oh, hey, we've had these summons for a while. Let's polish them up and do something more with them. And yeah, listen, the summons are gorgeous. There is another thing that I feel like we would be very, very remiss to talk about, and that is Aerith or Eris or Erisu, um, however you want to pronounce her name. Um, so it always irritates me a little bit when people are like, oh my God, Aerith was the first. No, she wasn't. People have died in Final Fantasies. Pretty much every single game. Yeah. Uh, Six left a trail of bodies. But one thing about Aerith is that her death was so incredibly impactful because this game takes its time. And that, I think, is my favorite thing about Final Fantasy VII is it doesn't just dump you in it kind of does dump you in in media res but you learn about these characters you grow to care about these characters and when they are put in horrible situations and when they are hurt you feel that and the scene major spoilers for final fantasy 7 guys but then again this game came out in if you haven't played it at this point it's your own 1997 um literally 20 years ago holy crap Um, but Aerith gets stabbed through the heart by Sephiroth, um, as he descends from the heavens and stabs her through with his Masamune and basically pierces her in such a way that her body just kind of goes limp on the sword and the white materia falls out of her hair. And then the music starts to play and it's just such a gut wrenching moment. And it's, it's been hailed as a, the most genre defining moment in video game history of that scene in is it the lost city? Is that what it's called? The city of the ancients. Yeah. Um, where she dies. And then cloud walks over with her body and places her in the water and she sinks down. Um, also, I also like to throw this out because uh, people's immediate reactions are, well, why didn't they just use a Phoenix down? So Phoenix down can only revive a knocked out character, not a dead character. They are KO'd, not dead. So whenever a character goes down to zero hit points, they're unconscious, not dead. So a phoenix down can bring them back. Aerith died. She was stabbed through the heart. It's a, listen, they they built the entire story around this moment is really what they did. It is true. And it's not the last time you see Aerith by any stretch of the imagination. And I love that about it. I love so much that she's still such an enduring presence up until the end of the game. Here's 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 I think my biggest problem with this game though is that like like we've talked about a bit there's an incredible lore that takes place behind the game is the game itself features interesting characters genuinely but the main dude the guy that you're supposed to be like the vessel of is Cloud and that boy has the dumbest story in all of video games ever. 
I would argue um, that there are worse stories than Cloud. The reason that I think Cloud stories work, just personally, but the reason I think it works is because he's a failure. Because everything around him, because Zack is better than he was. Because he's a poor copy and he knows it. I have never, I've never enjoyed that whole, oh, I'm the failed clone copy thing of another better person, blah, 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 blah. Never loved it. Never. That's a bad, that's bad storytelling to me where it's just like, go live your life, dude. That's go, true. Go be you. Well, and the other thing is, I think it's interesting because this game shows Cloud having a mental breakdown. Yeah. Because Zach keeps popping up and goes, hey, dude. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. You're Remember me? Me. And then Sephiroth is hanging in the background being like, you're not me either. You want to be me, but you're not me. You're you and you suck. And mommy doesn't love you like she loves me. Oh, Genova. Let's talk a little bit about the villains of Final Fantasy VII and how that that works. Because the dynamic between Sephiroth and Genova is so fascinating. Oh, I don't know enough about that mess to even... I I know he's got a real crazy thing to turn into a planet eater and fly through the universe and hit another world and become another Genova. Basically, that's it. So Genova was this kind of crazy monster and Sephiroth... I believe it was... Didn't they use Genova's... It's been a while since I've played 7, so please forgive me for any inaccuracies. But didn't they use Genova's blood as part of the soldier program? Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of... And that's how they got their powers, because soldiers were like superhumans, essentially. Um, And Sephiroth was like, oh, cool. So, no, that's my mommy. And, uh, yeah, cool. I'm going to go get the Black Materia, and I'm going to summon Meteor, and uh, everything's going to die. And and part of it is, this is is a story, I think this is part of my issue also, we'll cover in a second here. Um, Part of it was, Genova came to this world from another one with the specific goal of, Erasing all life, eating the life stream, and then writing this world onto an- yet another world and infecting it and going like that. Uh, here's the problem with me, with me personally, is this is the same story from Chrono Trigger, and Chrono Trigger did everything in a video game better forever, and I will fight you on that to Chrono- the death. Chrono Trigger is ultimately, in my opinion, better than Final Fantasy VII. Chrono Trigger is brilliant. It really is. I, yeah, it's... Listen... Guys, Chrono Trigger is a perfect video game. Perfect. Uh, but it also has the um, the parasite falls to Earth, or falls to the planet, consumes it, and sends out Spawn to go do the same thing later. It's literally the same villain. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, go ahead. It's, it's a better executed villain because it doesn't become a localized thing. Mm-hmm. Like, with Final Fantasy VII, the whole problem gets boiled down to... Uh, Big Brother Sephiroth and Little Brother Cloud have a slap fight. And then, for heaven only knows what reason, Sephiroth keeps on coming back in other things to slap Cloud again. Which brings us to Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Um, Advent Children, for all of its flaws, was one of the most technologically advanced pieces of CGI Oh, it's gorgeous. At the time. It's gorgeous. Um, I actually remember watching a bootleg copy of it at a friend's house in high school and us jumping up and down screaming during the Sephiroth fight with the remix of One Winged Angel that the Black Mages did. Um, and it's just insane. No, but that's from the, the thing. Moment- Advent Children is insane. Like, its story is insane. It's a dumb story. It's a very dumb story. Um, but from the moment that they summon that monster... And that leads into the Sephiroth fight and everything. Like, that entire sequence is incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want out of a Final Fantasy, is that, is that kind of action, which is really nice to see. But, no, that story is dumb and bonkers. See, what I think is funny is everybody, when they talk about Advent Children, they want to talk about the Sephiroth fight. To me, the better fight was Tifa's fight. With oh, the yeah, piano no. arrangement of those who fight in the in the church where you meet Aerith. It's incredible. 
yeah, it's it's a really good fight. Like, there's materia being slung around very subtly. It's really good. It's really good. So let's move on from a game that neither of us really like, and we're going to skip over 8. Again, apologies to people who like Final Fantasy 8. Um, my issue with 8 boils down to why are you making me draw from my magic? I hate that, and it makes the game unplayable for me. I've heard that the story is incredible, and I've read the story, and I know kind of what happens. Um, but if I'm a magic user at heart. I am... Uh, if I had to be a Final Fantasy class, and again, if you don't know me, you probably are, or if you do know me, you already expected this. I'm a white mage. Um, That's accurate. Yeah. So um, why would you make me draw my magic? I hate that so much. And it makes your game unplayable. Yeah. Listen, Squall is just an unlikable person. So we're going to move along to some of the most likable people in the entire series of Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy Nine. Yes. Got my got my monkey tail dagger wielding boys a Dane, mm-hmm. and we have the most perfect child who has ever been a perfect child in all of our, all reality. Vivi, oh my sweet boy, my sweet black mage boy. If you don't like Vivi, we can't be friends. The thing about Final Fantasy Nine, Final Fantasy Nine again, it is if you have a PS4, buy the game. Um, I think it's twenty bucks right now. Um, it comes with a theme. Uh, it is the full game, obviously. It is the uh, updated, like, HD graphics version. Um, so everything is, like, a little bit smoother and a little bit nicer. Um, I'm playing through it again right now. I actually just got past uh, Black Waltz 3. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of in that big city and kind of going around. And it's like comfort food. It's just such good comfort food. Um, but to give a little background, you the the main character is a guy named Zidane or Zidane or you could pronounce it a hundred different ways, um, and you get introduced to him as he's part of a thief troop who start the game wanting to capture a princess, and so you play a kidnapper to start. And the opening of Final Fantasy IX is so iconic, and to me the opening goes all the way through the Forest of Evil, um, mm-hmm. through the petrification scene. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's so iconic, it's so interesting. It it di- it lets you dive into this world in such a organic and fun way. It's just it's so lovely. This is another one of those games, and this is I think I think nine really really does the best job out of all this because it's after nine that things change. Like nine was meant to be, we're gonna pull it back, we're gonna roll back a little bit, do more of the fantasy stuff instead of whatever seven and eight we're doing, steampunky, um, cyberpunky yeah, stuff, whatever that mess was. Um, but really, genuinely roll back to a fantasy setting. Um, but they also encapsulated one of the best things about Final Fantasy games to me is you start off very small. Like you start off in one town or one kingdom and then you expand out and you're like, oh man, this is a problem that affects this whole area. And then you expand out a little bit further and you're like, oh man, this expands like a, this affects like a whole continent. And then you're like, oh no, wait, this actually affects an entire world. And then in nine, it's like, oh, but wait, also you're going to go to another world. And, and this, this has, I think also the best progression on the villain scale Because we start with just this mad queen who channels Kefka really well, especially in the video sequences. Um, And she's the villain of that first region, like just outside of the kingdom, the one, the first kingdom. She affects that whole village, like whole region Mm -hmm. uh, in an area that's covered in mist. And eventually you learn that that doesn't actually cover the whole world yet. It's a whole thing. But when you actually start scaling up, you get the whole world is involved in this. And it's not just her. Like, she gets knocked off the villain tree pretty dang quick. Yep. And replaced by Kuja. Yeah. Oh, man. And he even gets replaced by someone for a bit until he mm-hmm. doesn't. But it's it's a nice scaling of threat. It is. That you are in this village where you... Oh, God. That first little village where you start learning about Vivi and how they start calling him an it and a puppet and a toy and uh, Vivi each character in final fantasy nine has such a beautiful arc. Every single one, even mm-hmm. the bad guys, um, you know, um, uh, what is her name? Um, the queen Be- Beatrix, yeah. uh, the general. Oh she yeah. She even has a beautiful arc. Um, Steiner, the, the clunky rust bucket of a knight, um, just, Every one of these characters feels so complete and so interesting on their own. 
And I'll tell you why I like Zedane, why he is my favorite of all the protagonists in Final Fantasy. Uh, one, he doesn't get nearly as much love as he should. Uh, Final Fantasy IX as a whole is very, like, kind of swept under the rug in a lot of ways. Like, people didn't want it, and ten really kind of eclipsed it. And well, nine, I believe, came out towards the end of the PS1 life cycle anyway, so people were already starting to look to the PS2. It did, and, and part of the problem was it also didn't push the graphics very far. Mm-hmm. It did in the video sequences, but not in the actual gameplay. It's, well, it was kind of difficult to look at. It's cutesier than Final Fantasy VIII. Eight went for more photorealism, which to me didn't work as well but in nine they embraced kind of the cute they rounded things out they they i mean just look at vivi vivi is the ultimate in character design for me for final fantasy um with the exception of some folks in 10 which we'll get to in a minute this is this is also the game though where they really went with the where they finally figured out the Final Fantasy style, visual mm-hmm. style, and went with like the oversized cuffs and the too many straps and zippers and everything that we're going to see going on from there. Um, but yeah, looking like, at like, you, Lulu. Yeah, the the video sequences are incredible, but the actual gameplay, like it's not that far up from eight, and it should have been a little bit better at least. But mm-hmm. um, so Zidane is my favorite protagonist. Because of how he treats Vivi. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, when they meet Vivi, they're immediately either terrified or like, oh, I can control you. Or I need to return you to the kingdom so I can get the reward for returning missing product. And Zidane's just like, nah, dude, you're just a cool little buddy. Yep. Come party with me and my friends. Come be my friend. great. Yeah. Well, Listen. I also, I love the way Zidane treats uh, Garnet slash Dagger. You know, Oh, they have the best romance. And it could be very, like, with a character like that, you know, who's a thief, who kidnaps the princess, you almost expect kind of a roguish Han Solo type thing, but you don't get that. You get something much more genuine, much more heartwarming. Zidane is just, he's a good kid. He's a good kid, Brent. He's a good kid. He blusters a lot and tries to put on the Han Solo face, but especially like when we get right down to it, there's a fight. It's it's I think it's the last main video sequence of the game before they get back to Alexandria, and he is running to go save the main villain. Mm-hmm. He is risking his life to go save the the key villain of the whole game because they are brothers, and he is just like. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I have to do this thing, and it's oh man! If you've been following Zidane's story the whole time, you're just like your heart breaks in that scene mm-hmm. because and you watch Garnet's reaction to it. Nine also introduces, and I think it's a this is a good place to mention it. Um, they're kind of like quick time events. They call them active time events or ATE, um, where they're optional story beats, where y- you can kind of see what are characters doing at the same time as what's going on around you. Um, I think it's interesting that they made those optional, but the thing is, if you watch all the ATEs, you really get a deeper insight into the story and into these characters. And I think ultimately ATEs are one of the biggest strengths of Final Fantasy IX because it's these little nuggets of uh, characters growth um especially like all of steiner's ates watching him evolve from this you know rugged barking orders you know knight to someone who actually questions and thinks and basically develops a family with these people and it's it's really sweet and heartwarming it's very very good um i think i think the other thing that i really want to talk about with nine before we move on to ten and uh, and kind of close it up with that is we we had summons, mm-hmm. you know. We've had summons for a good long time in the Final Fantasy series. Uh, Seven did some interesting things with them, just in visual terms, like it did with everything. But also had the whole like unlockable, like you had to work to earn some of the summons. Mm-hmm. Nine, the summons aren't just random magic, which is what they'd kind of been portrayed as in all this. In nine, I I think. Six is probably the only other one that made summons like a physical part of the world mm-hmm. where the summons were you were summoning an esper from its realm 
to step into yours and influence the world. And that's like reality warping typically. Mm-hmm. In in nine though, like the summons are almost like titans that just they're things that exist in the physical world and are dormant unless a proper summoner who is a race of people, they're down to two of them at the end of this game. Um unless a summoner calls them up and the first time the first time you see this happen it it's just a death star beam of light and the second time you see it happen an entire castle stands up to punch a thing that's alexander right yeah it is alexander is one of my favorite summons um again we'll get into it in just a few minutes with final fantasy 10 because spoiler alert guys final fantasy 10 is my favorite final fantasy with a bullet hands down um and I know that's not necessarily a popular opinion, but I don't I don't care. Um, <laughs> but the the summons in nine, they feel powerful. Yeah, you have to work for them because you actually have to like befriend them in a way. You mm-hmm. have to earn those summons, and when you push that button to call one of them up after it charges, it. It will it will rock the game world, and especially once you get up to like Bahamut and some of those yep. big things. It's it's bad times to be on the wrong end of that, and and this is also one of the games that has the real weird like like you get an airship that's basically a canned demon god, like it it contains a summon. Final thing. Fantasy, everybody. <laughs> yeah, da 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 da. I mean, look in six, you got an airship that was a flying casino, mm-hmm. so. Uh, airships. We didn't really talk about those much. That's a bummer. We'll have to hold off and do that later. But airships are great. In Final airships Fantasy. are great, and there's actually an airship in ten as well. Yeah, uh, Sid. Sid does good work. Um, Sid does good work. Let's. Uh, so yeah, guys, go play nine. It's worth go your time. play nine. It is twenty bucks on PSN Network. If you have a PS4, please, please, please do yourself a favor. Get it. Play through it. Take your time with it. Talk to the NPCs. Like, get into the world. Talk to your fellow characters. Do those active time events. Put time into it. Trust me, you will be rewarded. It's also on the App Store. Uh, I don't have any Mm -hmm. device that's powerful enough to play it. Uh, I have old tech and I need to fix that. Uh, But it's there. You you can buy it there if you prefer that. Uh, Just whatever you need to do. If you have a PlayStation 1, definitely go buy it. I don't know why you don't have it already. Yeah, so let's move on to 10. And uh, with, with some spoilers... Uh, I'm going to give you the one line that was used to me that that I have seen for this game. And it's, oh, you're just a dream of a dead society with daddy issues. Listen, there's Alan is trying really hard not to be very mad at me right now. No, because that is that is a perfect, accurate summation of 10 in the most basic way possible. Um, Final Fantasy 10... Okay, so so cards on the table, listeners. Final Fantasy X was my first Final Fantasy. Um, aside from Final Fantasy III. Um, I had okay. played three a little bit. Like, I'd rented it, um, but we didn't own it. So I'd never beaten it. So I just played it a little bit. And so me and my sister were at a video store um, back when those were a thing. It was Movie Gallery. And we found this game, Final Fantasy X. And we were leery about jumping in on the 10th one. Um but we got it and we played it and just it it changed our lives. And we kind of went back and started playing through all of the other ones. And it was a really big bonding thing for me and my sister. So 10 has a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, I literally own it on every system you can. I have it on PS2. I have it on PS3 and I have it on PS4. Um, I am unashamed. <laughs> I have played that game so many times. So many times, you guys. Um, but Final Fantasy X is the story of Titus or Titus, however you want to pronounce his name, but it's also the story of Yuna. Yuna is my favorite character from a video game, hard stop, period. She is so interesting. Her character develops in such a organic and realistic way for the things that she goes through. Um, she even gets her own game, Final Fantasy X-2, which I actually fully enjoy. I know a lot of people uh, have issues with Final Fantasy X-2, but I adore it. Um, Isn't that based- Final Fantasy dress-up doll? It's dress-up 
uh, J-pop girl power. Yeah, that game. Listen, it's, fuck- that's better than Final Fantasy Underwater Soccer Polo Quidditch game. True. I love both of them. I love all of them. Um, but you play, you play, Titus is your main character. And um, yeah, so a lot of Final Fantasy X revolves around the idea of dreaming um, and spirits and uh the summons, you were talking about how in 9 there are physical things in the world. In 10, summons are the spirits of people. So summoners are basically part of a religion called Yevon. And you go to the temples and you pray and you um, basically ask the spirit of the summon to join you in your battle because summoners fight sin. Sin is the big grand bad that uh, comes to destroy the world. And summoners have to basically collect all the summons, summon the final summon to defeat sin, not kill sin, because you can't kill sin. It will always come back until Titus's team, because Titus's team says, you know what? No, we don't buy that. We will kill this thing. We will do this as a team and as a family. I love these characters. I like. I literally could talk about Final Fantasy X all day. It has my favorite level up system in a video game. Period. The sphere, oh, the sphere grid, grid is perfection. That's it very is absolute perse- perfection. The music, um, Suteki Dane, which roughly translates to "Isn't it wonderful," is kind of the uh, ballad of it. Um, will make me tear up. And then you have Otherworld, which sounds like a Rob Zombie song that happens at the beginning of the game. Um, you also get Oran, who is this incredible character. Like, all of the characters are incredible. Um, I could literally go on about 10 forever. Um, it is the last kind of bastion of the turn-based RPG system uh, in in the Final Fantasy series because things start changing with 12, um, and then they drastically change with 13 and 15. Um, you may not you may notice that we're not really talking about 11 and 14. Those numbered series are actually MMOs, um, so they play more like a standard uh, MMO, like your World of Warcrafts and kind of thing. Um, which are, they are excellent games, by the way. Please check them out. If you have questions about uh, at least Final Fantasy XIV, um, hopefully they won't mind me kind of plugging them, but uh, Crashing Waves over on Twitter um, plays a whole bunch of fourteen, and they are probably the foremost expert I've seen on it. Um, so hit them up if you have any questions or you're curious about the Final Fantasy MMOs. Hey, yeah, listen, uh, I'm just, I want to ask you a couple questions about 10. We're going to okay. deviate a little bit here, uh, just because partially we're running out of time. And I'm afraid if I just let you go, this is going to turn into a Sailor Moon. And I'm not doing that again, I say, although it's probably going to happen sometime. But not today. Not today. Um, I, not I am today. a good boy. I'm a good boy. Shannon was great. It was a lot of fun. It was just a lot of Sailor Moon all in one day. Well, no, no, um, no. I meant a good boy as in keeping schedule. Shannon Maynard is one of the greatest people on the face of the planet. Now we'll fight you. <laughs> uh, you go support her Patreon. She's yes, please go support her Patreon. She's amazing. Uh, hi, Shannon. Um, so let me ask you, first off, the timeline. What? Okay, so the timeline of Final Fantasy X is a little bit confusing. So... Titus, Titus, I always call him Titus. I've heard Titus, it's a haunt. You can actually rename him, um, which causes some major problems in Final Fantasy X-2 because they can't say his name because he doesn't technically have one. Um, but Titus grew up in a city called Xanarkand, which was a technological marvel that was destroyed by Sin. When the city was destroyed, Titus wakes up in a world 2,000 years ahead of where he used to be. So he basically Xanarkand is ruins. Um, Xanarkand is a holy place in this timeline. Um, that's where he meets Waka. But essentially, and again, major, major, major spoilers for Final Fantasy X. If you have not played this game, please go play it. Don't listen to the rest of this episode, please, or at least skip over um, to the end because God, this is a good twist. But he's a dream. So uh, all of the summons are dreams, dreams of what are called faith. Um, and essentially the faith are souls of people that are dreaming in a perpetual state. And so when sin destroyed Xanarkand, a lot of the people became faith and were dreaming and dreamed Titus into existence. And what about his dad? 
Titus's dad is named Jacked. And Jacked had something very similar happen to him. He got teleported by Sin uh, slightly before Titus did, about 10 years prior to Titus uh, having this thing happen to him. And he went on the summoner's journey with Lord Brasca, who is Yuna's father. Jacked sacrificed himself to be Brasca's final Aeon, which is what they call the summons. And the, again, huge major twist, the final Aeon that the summoner uses to defeat Sin eventually becomes Sin. So when Titus wakes up in this future and is fighting Sin, he's actually fighting his father. All right. That okay. So Titus is definitely from. Is it? It's the same world, just two thousand. It's the years same earlier? world, just okay. two thousand years earlier. Let, let me let me tell you a true story here, listeners. When I played ten, none of that made sense because they were just like you did. You had no idea what was going on. I, I just I could not decipher ten when I first played it. I was just like, I don't, I don't like it, and this sport is dumb. But I love all the characters. Lulu has a dress made out of belts, and she's the best. Until Yuna can get into black magic, and then you never use Lulu again. But she's wonderful! I love her. And she attacks people with dolls! Her women are dolls. That's very creepy, Alan. Uh, And a dress made out of belts is literally the most Final Fantasy sentence that's ever been uttered in Uh the world. And then her and Waka fall in love, and they have a baby in Final Fantasy X too. Okay, okay, real fast. Tin 2 is is the search for Titus, who is a dead dream of a dead civilization, is dead forever, amen. Kind of. So Final Fantasy Tin 2 picks up a few years after the events of Final Fantasy X, and Riku ha- or uh, Yuna has teamed up with Riku and this other girl, Pain. Uh, Riku is Yuna's cousin, and they have formed YRP, or the Gold Wings, um, and they're Sphere Hunters, because uh, spheres are a big deal in, in Final Fantasy, and they can be used for lots of different, or uh, in 10, they can be used for lots of different things, um, but they can be used for storing memories and like all sorts of different things, so they're collecting spheres. One of the first spheres spheres that they collect shows Titus, or who they think is Titus. And so Yuna's like, oh my god, he's alive. I have to find him. And they turn into a J-pop group who tour the country, putting on different clothes. Yes. Okay. That makes that makes Final Fantasy sense. It's wonderful. I, I adore Final Fantasy X-2 because it's really nice. Because it is super girl power. It is very, like, you know these girls are kind of taking on the world and they can do whatever they want. And, you know, obviously, hey, spoilers for Final Fantasy X-2, that's not Titus, that's uh, Shuyan, who, um, so long story short, the dancer dress fear that she gets at the beginning of the game is the memories of a girl named Lin, who had a boy that looked very similar to Titus named Shuyan, who Shuyan tried to basically summon up this thing called Rezogun, which was this a forbidden machina that could essentially destroy the world. And so the dancer dress sphere starts bleeding into Yuna's own memories. So she thinks Shuyan is Titus and, and they start trying to merge into one person. That seems bad. It is. It's not very good, but it leads to 1000 words, which is one of the big like J-pop um, numbers. And it's kind of cool because Yuna's in the dancer dress sphere. And then all of a sudden Leanne steps out of her and they have a duet. That is the most Final Fantasy thing I've ever heard in my life. It's so, so good. Like, it is so, so, so good. Um, Also, again, be remiss to not talk about the music of Final Fantasy X, because holy crap, um, to Xanarkin, Suteki Dane, Otherworld, um, it's just, uh, it's so good. Oh, awesome. We're going to touch real fast. Um, We've mentioned 12 a lot. 12 is weird. The Final Fantasy series is probably going to go on until the heat death of the universe, if they can pull it off. Um, so, you know, you can have your, your pick. I got really excited for 12 when it was coming out because I loved Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced. Yep. And it's the same world, Evilus. Yeah. Well, okay. It's supposedly the same world. There's same race of people and that kind of thing, at least. Evilus is a whole deal that we, that no one really has time to talk about. And I'm pretty sure Squeenix does not even know what they're doing with it. They're Mm -hmm. just kind of like fumbling in the dark. Um, so uh, we'll probably have another Final Fantasy conversation at some point on this show down the road. Yeah, uh, absolutely. 
Because I also want to throw Chrono Trigger in there because it's made by the same people, largely. Absolutely, and Chrono Cross. Okay. I, if, oh, Chrono Cross. Okay, look, there's a whole deal there. And there's a third game that's like a shadow game that became a Chrono Wrong place. Anyways, Alan, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me again. It's always it's always lovely chatting with you, obviously. I love talking about this kind of stuff and getting my nerd on. So thank you for having me. Well, you know, why don't you tell everybody uh, where else they can find you? Is you have the uh, the middlest McElroy of podcasts <laughs> amongst like the three of us. So, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Alan underscore cells. That's probably the best place to find me. Um, some of the other shows that I do, one of the the one that I'm going to talk about first that I'm super excited about is one that I do with Matt. It's called Forging Worlds, um, where we sit down and we make a world. We um, Kind of take a, yeah, from the ground up, we take a general idea and we flesh out a world. Um, so please go listen to that. We would love some feedback on that. Um, I am also the game master for Pokemon World Tour United. Um, it is an actual play Pokemon RPG. It just came back. Um, we are in Act Two, Bibby, which is super exciting. Um, hopefully we'll get Matt back on. He is one of our gym leaders. Um, we also do the Cool Kids Table, where I am a frequent but not always GM. Um, we're actually doing our next series. Um, by the time this comes out, it will be our next series. I think, I don't think we'll be into it quite yet. Um, but I'm not GMing. I'm actually playing. I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm super, I know what's coming and I'm very excited to hear that you guys, it's going to be so uh, good. It's coming up on a real good time to jump onto CKT. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super duper exciting. Um, and then we also do hard reboot together, Matt, I, and our friend Jake, um, where we take public domain properties and we reboot them in the modern era and we, you know, try to rework them and make them new and exciting in different ways. Yeah, that's, you do a lot of work, Alan. Uh, I have a lot of fun with it though. Yes. Um, all right, guys. Well, uh, see y'all next week. Bye. You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com. Follow us on Twitter at fifthdraw or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and a review or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Rosevere and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening. (laughs) 